Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Authorised Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. Who's the CEO of the Stewart Group from right here in Hastings? How are you going, Nick? Good, thank you. Wonderful to be back with you. Well, it's good to have you here. Now, today we're going to talk about, well, among other things, the cost of happiness. Can can money buy you happiness? But before we get there, <laughs> just remind our listeners, the Stewart Group, what are you all about? We're a financial planning business uh, headquartered here in Hastings, Hawke's Bay. We also have an office in Wellington, but we help people make smart decisions with their money, mm-hmm. You know, get their financial house in order and keep it that way. And you're big time on KiwiSaver. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we, we have a team that look after KiwiSaver. We've been uh, working with uh, our clients uh, here in Hawke's Bay and across the country for with KiwiSaver for this is year 11 now. But you've got an alternative to KiwiSaver. We do, we do. We've got, well, because we were looking at it and so because KiwiSaver is very, very tax efficient, clean and elegant. Like it's kind of like... um. Going getting pancake mix out of the box. Yeah, it's Swift, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, add milk. You know, like, re- that's like right. really, really. And, and KiwiSaver's a bit like that. And that's, you know, of course, KiwiSaver's like a household name and everyone has it and everyone should have it. Um, but when we were thinking about it, we are saying, well, what about if we created something that was like KiwiSaver in terms of many of the attributes, but it wasn't within the KiwiSaver um, remit or regime? Because, you know, KiwiSaver is a... Um, um, is backed up by legislation. It's a, it's a superannuation vehicle, state-sponsored superannuation vehicle. Whereas we were saying, well, we like a lot of those attributes, but there are some people where they shouldn't be saving all of their money in KiwiSaver because it's locked up until one, they buy their first home; two, they have a severe hardship; C, they pass away; or D, they reach retirement age. So there are many people that, yep, maximise what you're putting into KiwiSaver, but you also need a liquid bucket mm. off to the side because, you know, things happen. You know, maybe at age 50, you need some capital. You want to buy a new business. You want to, um, I don't know, you need a new car. You need a trip or whatever it may be. Mm. So everyone needs a liquid portion of wealth, but that is tax efficient, diversified, and very elegant in its solution. Mm. That's what we built. That is called the ACI funds. Yeah. And who's it appealing to in the main? Young people? Yeah, it's typically those who are in accumulation phase. I would have said that, isn't it, Ken? I would have said that to you, yeah, three months ago. I would have said, yep, yeah, it's, it's an accumulation vehicle. Hmm. Whereas I'm actually finding there are quite a few people where they actually can't afford to get bespoke wealth management advice because, you know, they may have like, I don't know, 150000 to invest. Because 150000 to invest is a lot of capital. Mm. But to create a bespoke investment solution, a full statement of advice across all areas of goals and objectives is quite expensive and many people can't get advice, whereas they can utilize the ACI funds. And we've found quite a few people have done that. Yeah. 
And it's a bit like anything. I mean, even KiwiSaver is not government guaranteed, isn't it? It all carries some risk somewhere down the line. Yeah, it's government sponsored in the sense that it's backed up by legislation, but it is certainly not guaranteed. Mm. Returns are not. They've just created an operating engine that you can utilize to grow wealth in a in a stable um, savings vehicle for the long term. It's interesting. I use the word stable, and yet um, if we look at as governments come through, many of them nibble around the edges of KiwiSaver. And, you know, when you look back to what the Labor government created in 2007 with KiwiSaver on to where it is today and where it may be in a year's time, you know, it has morphed a little bit. It's a heck of a lot bigger. You know, it's north of 100 billion Kiwi mm. now is invested in KiwiSaver. But, you know, the um, uh, tax credit has been halved. Um, there's no Kickstarter anymore. You used to receive a yep. one-off bonus of a little over $1,000 to say, hey, thanks for starting your KiwiSaver. Mm. None of that is there now. So it has been watered down a little bit over time. But look, if you go to the United Kingdom, that's had um, you know pensions involved in the workplace for a very long time. Pensions always become a political football. Yeah. When the quantum of the capital gets to a certain point, it always gets political. Yeah. And with us, with KiwiSaver, I guess in reality we always knew that was going to happen. Too right. Now today we're going to uh, have a look at the cost of happiness and uh, you wrote an interesting article. It's all about money. What, what is wealth? If you had to define what wealth is, what is it? Is well, there a definition for it? Well, a lot of people talk about wealth as, as in being how much am I worth? Mm. And I've said to you on the show before, actually I prefer the um, more holistic definition of wealth, which is like around your kind of health and well-being mm. and therefore that flows through to how much income you have or an annuity stream rather than how much capital you have. The reason why I say that is a lot of people have a lot of capital but they're very income constrained. So, you know, you know, wealth is about, you know, your income flow, what that looks like and about your health and how you're able to enjoy that. You know, no point no point being um you know, ill and sick in bed with a lot of money because you're not going to be able to enjoy it. I guess you'll be able to enjoy giving it away to others and giving others pleasure. <laughs> but, you know, other than that, it's yes. a very limited thing. So so going back to your question, so if we look at it, there is a tipping point, and there's a thing called the S-Money Report, which mm. comes out of Purdue University offshore, and it kind of looks at things that, like, you know, can money make you happy? And how much might it, might it take for you to be happy? Well, New Zealand, fortunately, you know, we are not a third world country. First world country, we are included in the stats. We currently rank at number seven on the scale of the 10 countries that attract, that are um, tracked. Now, the fact is, this is going to be kind of scary, Ken. The tipping point where there's no discernible further impact than earning further capital is a whopping $195,679. That's a lot of money. I mean, you are in the upper income bracket, the the tip of the top table. You know, you're in the 0.01 of a percent kind of income earner. Um, So it is, it's, that's no small chunk of change. It is. But most people, when they hear that, Nick, they roll their eyes because uh, I don't know anyone who's getting that sort of money. And, uh, so are they unhappy? <laughs> I know. Well, well, look, Trade Me says the average job advertised at the moment is seventy thousand, mm-hmm. which is actually um, which is slightly higher than Hawke's Bay's average, which is sixty eight thousand at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, boy, if Hawke's Bay is 68,000 and the S-curve at the tipping point is near on $195,000, $196,000, it just kind of gives you an idea of that elasticity on how much room there is to grow to get to that point. But But what it shows is that, you know, when you get to a certain amount of money, your actual happiness does not increase. Now, I know that a lot of people won't have ever thought about this before, but they would have thought about the fact that with a, with a car, like a Formula One car, mm. everyone knows that they're an amazing precision piece of machinery. You know, beautifully made, great engine, great team, great driver. It all comes together. But we know that to get that incremental amount more of speed to win, to be on the podium, hopefully spraying about the champagne, you know, you won, hoorah. You know that to get that last little bit of speed costs a huge amount of money to get the last little bit. And it's a little bit like that with the income where you've got to earn so much more to get that next incremental unit of happiness. And that's where they say that's the uh, S-Money Reports tipping point. At what point is it not worth exhausting so much more resource because the outcome starts to dissipate? And it's like the Formula One car. I remember we had a conversation last year and uh, we mentioned a, a statistic or I mentioned it to you mm. that uh, in the UK, I think it was 40% of the population could, couldn't put their hands on a £1,000 if they needed it tomorrow. Yes. And I, I might suggest that that probably hasn't changed. In fact, it might have got worse. So even though they're getting, say, $70,000 a year, yes. well, they're still not managing, are they? So, so at what stage in our life do we have to... Uh, put things in place okay. where wealth is going to be not too bad. Looking okay. Well, look, look, you know, as I said at the start, we're a financial planning business. I think there's n- there's never a bad time to start yeah. planning. Uh, the best time to start planning was yesterday. Yeah. The second best time is today. Mm-hmm. And even for young children, I talk to my you know, our two little kids about it all the time. We talk about you know um, you know spending 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 less than you earn. And if you just start those kind of behavior patterns and have a reserve fund, it's, it's just really, it's, it's absolutely pivotal for people to get ahead because we know that, um, fiscal strain or money issues, um, can more often than not lead to relationship and, um, health and well, both mental, um, and physical health. It can, you know, lead to negative outcomes down the track. So, Look, people should always start their planning uh, as early as possible, start to develop those discipline habits. And, you know, with kids I've found and young people, you can kind of gamify the idea. Mm. Um, and I've talked to you on the show before about, you know, let's say, you inc- you know, if a child earns a dollar, if every time they go out to spend a dollar, they have to save 50 cents. You know, mm. it's kind of like that kind of getting them into the behavior yeah. that, when you earn something, pay yourself first. And when I mean pay yourself, pay your savings account first. Yeah. Put a bit away for the rainy day. And the rainy day may not be a disaster. It may not be sure. a cyclone, Gabriel. It may be your first car, your home deposit, your retirement, that amazing world trip. Nothing nothing comes out of the ether. Everything is paid by you and I from our own hands. And so the quicker we develop those behavior patterns, the better. Now, you've lived and breathed finances probably for your whole working life. Yes. Have you got a philosophy on, um, I mean, how did you do it? Did, from the 
day that you started work, did you religiously put a percentage of your money aside and always have done that, or did that fall by the wayside like it probably does for most people? <laughs> well, it's it's when you add on the debt element, that's when it's difficult to do mm. because effectively many people would would argue and rightly so that when they're down when they're repaying their mortgage whether that be a mortgage uh, against their home or it's their home leverage to buy a business when they're amortizing down or repaying uh, principal um, that's in effect savings which is true the issue that i have found particularly in new zealand and some commonwealth countries not all uh, predominantly australia and the united kingdom are the two that i can think of what happens is the people do repay their mortgage, which is an element which is savings because mm. they are inflating their they're growing their balance sheet because they're shrinking their their debt. So their net balance sheet is expanding. So the house is still worth the same, but the portion of the house that they own is going up every month by what they're repaying. The problem is that a lot of people they look at the neighbouring street or postcode and they become a postcode jumper. Yeah. And that's where they want to buy a bigger and flasher home or one with a more salubrious address, mm. whatever the motivation is. Or it might be a school zone, yeah. heaven, you know, so many reasons why you want to change. Um, but the problem is because they're always moving to a bigger and bigger home or more expensive home and a better address over time, they never get to the point where they accumulate any, any serious capital yeah. outside the family home. And so unfortunately, because of the postcode jumping mentality, a lot of Kiwis end up with a very beautiful home and a really cool address or the, the address of their desire long term, but they've only got their KiwiSaver. And sorry to let everyone know, but if you save 3% of your salary and your employer matches it by 3% and you get a tax, you know, get a tax paid, say, 7.5% or 6.5%, depending on the strategy you're in, if you do that from the first day that you start working and you, you will you will be disappointed with what retirement looks like mm. because 6% compounded over time does not allow you to draw down from your KiwiSaver what your final salary was. Unfortunately, it's not. You need to be saving about 12%. I think you hit the nail on the head in that uh, conversation that you just had. Do you think that uh, the average person has got the green eye? You know, they're always looking at the guy who's slightly better off, has got that slightly better house, and, and most of us aren't realists. I mean, you know, I, if I don't say it to my wife every night, because I'm, I'm quite a big fan of looking at uh, um, custom-built Harley Davidsons, and I know right. that they're about a hundred grand, and I say, "Oh, this look, this is for me," but I'm realistic enough to know that hey, it's just a dream. But is that the problem that we do sort of stretch and reach? And we put ourselves in debt, then when we should be quite happy with where we're at, or is that because go getters don't think like that, do they? I'm not going to be happy with where I'm at. Go getters, go for it. Yeah, they do, but there are a lot of go getters too who who still spend, you know, a um, you know, really a really large wedge of what they earn. Um, and I was going to say, look, we live in a consumer society where you turn on the radio, you go on to whatever Facebook, Twitter, Instagram billboards you name it all around you is the um i don't know eye-catching signs yes. that uh these available wares are for sale and that you should come and partake and live mm. a better life etc you know classic consumerism but the fact is that you know i i read a, quite a bit of history and if you look back to like ancient times during the kind of um well-documented um you know the roman republic 
um, or uh, under the uh, emperors, people had fiscal constraints then. You know, people would spend more than they would earn. Uh, they would have lovely silks and yep. robes and houses and horses and servants and was well, it turned out it was slaves, etc. Yep. Um, a lot of people lived beyond their means, and a lot of very, very, very wealthy families documented in Roman history failed and ran out of resources. The same thing happened in Victorian England, and they are very well documented. Amazing homes in the countryside, and you read back about the history, some amazing manner, and the, well, all the land that's around it's been sold, and the family have moved out just because they, um, you know, for a period of time, they spent more than they earned. This is, you know, these are all well documented. So what we have today is not new. The only, the, I guess the sad part is that, Ken, you know, modern finance is a relatively new thing. Mm. And when I mean modern finance, I'm not talking about accountancy and tax. I mean, that's been, that's been as, you know, back, back to Mesopotamian times yes. that they had tax collectors that would go around and you'd, you know, they'd shake you down for how much they thought you'd earned <laughs> and, you know, it, you know, all those sort of things, you know, and people would, you know, manage their books, et cetera, in some form. But modern finance in the sense of the fact that we know how markets function, um, are how they work, what it looks like, how you develop portfolios, a lot of that is actually only over the last um, 60 to 70 years. And, you know, financial planning on that basis is also relatively new in the sense, you know, it's, it's not as old as some of those much older professions. But you think about what we know and what we understand, and yet so few people partake or would ever open a book or watch a pod listen to a podcast mm. or watch a video about or on financial planning yeah and about powering their own balance sheet and their own financial house mm. I, I i know this may sound weird but i i find that it dumbfounds me sometimes yes, it does. um yeah i suppose the wealth club when we're looking at it from not being wealthy, the wealth club is actually quite an exclusive one, isn't it? There's not as many wealthy people, real wealthy people, as what we no. think. No, correct, correct. And look, most people have um, have sufficient, mm. uh, have sufficient to lead, you know, an okay life. Mm. They would like more, but look, you know, like on historical standards, they lead a great life, but a lot of people would like more things. I mean. These days, you know, we have two and three car families. You know, back in the day, it was one. You used yeah. to have one television set. Now people have four or five. Mm. People used to have a house with one toilet. Now they want an ensuite on every house, every yeah. every room. Uh, everyone doesn't want a single car, lean to garage. They want a two or three car garage. You can see what I mean. Yeah, like, I know it, where you're going there. Yeah, you, you know exactly what I mean. Um, but that, th- th- so there's a huge portion of the population that are in the middle. Mm. There are very, there are a very small amount of people that are at the top, and um, and I use that word just speaking purely on a metric basis because it doesn't yeah. mean they're happier, it uh, doesn't mean they're more successful on um, with their family dynamic, etc. Uh, we actually find if you look at a, a numerous surveys, um, you know, a lot of those issues are irrespective of income. Mm or um, that so-called kind of um, old-school class structure. It, 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 it cuts through all of those. Um, but, yeah, there are very few people uh, who earn that amount of money, and that is you know, like that kind of 195, 196,000, the top of the S-shaped curve we spoke about before, where, you know, at what tipping point is there no does no additional income add any extra happiness? At, the amount of people that are at that point is extremely small, and that's when you actually go through and look at the 
if you break up um, income tax on where it's paid, there are very few people who are at that level. Yeah. It's very small, and that's why often in tax discussions we hear, particularly when an election comes mm. up where this seems to bubble up every time, that the the amount of people that are actually there is very, very small. And if those people were to, say, depart our shores and go elsewhere or those people elect that they don't wish to partake in that structure anymore, e.g., you know, it's just not worth working that hard to achieve that amount of money because perhaps mm. they've understood that, yeah, the yes curve does work. Maybe I should actually button back my income yeah. and actually get a little bit more happiness. When you look at some of those studies, it's it's actually quite, from a tax viewpoint, it's actually quite scary because those people, a small portion of the population, pay a huge amount of the tax. Mm. So that's why I, I didn't mean this discussion to go into tax, but it's mm. just a really um, easy way to give evidence about how few people are at that level. That's a mindset which would almost be a generational change, isn't it? More than one generation. Yes, true. So, you know, how do we how do we get that mindset? But probably more importantly, for the person listening to this program, and we haven't got much time to go sure. into it. How do we join the wealth club? But what would be your top tips to get into that wealth club? Well, firstly, well, the first step is you have to um, spend less than you earn. Don't think about some kind of like those, you know, the kind of the wealth guru of the quick, you know, get rich quick scheme. It takes time. Mm. You have to start. And the first thing people should do is start the planning. Like I said earlier, yeah. the best day to start planning was yesterday. The second best day is today. So write your balance sheet. When I say write your balance sheet, start working out what do I spend? What do I earn? And how do I start? And you, you know, one, one step after another, one foot before the other. And you just start the behavior, the mentality, the psyche of building wealth. Pay yourself first before you pay everyone else. And probably as important as what you've said is come and see someone like you. Yeah, yep. Yeah, because yeah, a lot we we meet a lot of people that um, come about wealth because they're clever in what they do. They're, like there are some um, man, we, we got some amazing people in the community. Like really smart people. Mm. Like you know. They can create the world's best widget based out of New Zealand and sell it to the world. And I just use that generic widget because all sorts of things that Hawks Bay and Kiwis have done and sold to the world. But the fact is just because you're good at making the widget doesn't mean you're good at financial planning Mm. and managing a financial house. Some are and some aren't. So that's why I always encourage people that they should always seek out professionals to help them either accumulate wealth or manage wealth because with wealth comes responsibilities and that is that many people have things like tax structures, they have beneficiaries, they have families, uh, they have philanthropic, and in other words, charitable goals and aspirations mm-hmm. or commitments. Some people have already made commitments and pledges and that's why just the same way that I have a lawyer and I have an accountant, because, yeah, whilst I could write some legal documents, I'd be like a bush lawyer. Mm. It'd be bloody dangerous. Yeah. And just what the fact that I understand a balance sheet and a P&L, I don't want to do my own tax returns. I employ professionals mm. to help me do that, just the same way that someone should pl- employ a financial planner as a professional to assist them with getting their financial house in order and keeping it that way. 
super important. Absolutely. Now, if we want to come and see you at the Stewart Group, uh, Nick, how do we do that? We are in Kadamu Road in Central Hastings, number 204. That's the black basalt stone building uh, with the tartan logo. And we're also on the terrace in the Wool Store building opposite the James Cook. Uh-huh.